Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And tonight we're covering Season 1, Episode 3, entitled A Muddy Road. Uh, did we... Did we want to talk anything about what we thought generally of the episode before we get into kind of our main discussion? I guess. I mean, okay, we don't have an instant cast for this. It's just a half-ass cast. So mm-hmm. uh, what did you think? I actually came to appreciate a little bit more of the humor, uh, the humorous side of this episode. The, the kids who were such a big problem for me in the first couple of episodes, uh, Hess's kids, they actually started to make a lot more sense and were funnier to me. Huh. In, this episode, in this episode, what what did you think about that? I thought they were bigger dipshits. <laughs> oh, definitely. They're I, they're yeah. bugging. They're actually more annoying to me. But Ooh, okay, I feel like this is the first episode where I fully invested into the story, and I kind of let go of my skepticism about whether how I feel about this and Fargo. I mean, I've always liked it. Yeah, but I thought this was a each week they continue to take very confident strides in how they're telling the story. Yeah, and they, yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm having a hard time articulating it. But it seems like every single time the show gets bigger, you know, like Lorne now is, as I said last week, flipping the script on the uh, uh, ransom note business. Every time they take a step to make the world larger, uh, it seems like it works, and they're yeah. being able to successfully connect those two worlds, and to the point where that. And the conversation with her, uh, I guess, high school friend uh, mm-hmm. about the spider bites, I was kind of like the whole time like, what the fuck is this about? Where is it going? And I just didn't care because I, I assume it's somehow going to be relevant before all things are said and done. Sure. I or, would hope so. <laughs> or it could be like uh, homage to that scene where Margie goes to see her high school friend and it was a really weird disjointed experience and yeah. didn't really have anything to do with the main plot. It just kind of set the mood. So whatever I'm picking up, whatever they're laying down. I don't, I don't care. I'm, I'm in, I'm all in. Yeah. Um, it feels like that, that spider stuff to me is kind of the chaos that, that Lorne is in, is bringing to this city. Feels like you know he's he's the bite, and then he kind of spreads his his eggs throughout these other people in the town, and then they start doing horrible things as well, like Lester. Mm, See, maybe like there could I, be a whole bunch of chaos crawling out of the the wound here. I I don't know. I I hope it's I hope it's not the weak connection they made at the end where she said, "Boy, I'd hate to live in a world where something like that's possible." You know. Uh-huh. Which I don't think it is. That that seems like an urban legend, which makes the conversation she had even stranger with her friend <laughs> but yeah no i'm i i really really like how this is going okay cool so where do you want to start as far as our main discussion uh i kind of took notes by character so i guess i would start there and okay s- i started off with molly mm-hmm. i don't know why because lauren actually was the 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 first guy um but we see her investigating the crime that they opened up the television show with was, so how did you feel about the flashback to naked man in his underwear? I thought it was kind of cool. I liked how they, they jumped around the timeline a little bit here, um, which they've done before with kind of, you know, people seeing things that have happened in the past, thinking about them. This is the first time we actually get a true flashback. I think. Do you think that this guy is connected in any way to the main action going on with the supermarket King 
um, and Lorne proper. Yeah, I I think there is the connection of whatever city the guy who was making the phone calls and receiving the phone calls was in. Uh, I can't remember what city that was, but it seems like, you know, Lorne is out there doing these jobs, and that's kind of the main hub. So this guy obviously owed somebody some money from, you know, potential gambling debts or whatever. There, I think that whole, like, gambling uh, child pornography stuff was just a joke. I don't think anybody actually knew what this guy was wanted for, but he was wanted for something. Right on. Um, and I, I think all of those things tie back to the guy making and taking phone calls. Okay. Um we again that's we had a really strange meeting with her and her old friend in high school. Uh-huh. Um do you think that was set up just to make her think about Well, let me ask this another way. Do you think that was just a setup to make her and Gus's meeting at the end a meet cute where it's basically the start mm-hmm. of a potential relationship because of putting her mind relationships the fact that she doesn't have one that she's married to this job and what does that mean internet dating is a fucking nightmare because people steal all your panties (laughs) and spiders come out of people's necks Uh and then she meets this perfectly nice guy later on uh how how much of that do you think was got you know was she engineering from the beginning i'm god i'm i'm having a terrible time articulating tonight (laughs) Um, uh, you mean, was it just there to make her think about relationships? I, I feel like the, the spider tie in makes it, it takes it to another level. Um, I don't know. It feels to me like she is chasing that spider and that that spider is Lauren Malvo. Well, one thing Philip Z, uh, one of the Natterborn hangs out with the Nattercast guys, uh, mentioned on the, on the thread on Facebook is that he says he's known people who've gone on dates without knowing it, where someone they just met directed them to a diner or other establishment where one of their family members or friends worked because it's a great way to get a report on how the person you're interested acts <laughs> when you're not around. I guess what I'm saying is, do you think that's what Molly did with Gus and his daughter here? Gotcha. Um, Which I think her name is Greta. Do you think yeah, she's Gus and Greta over there so her dad would give her 411, or is she oblivious to that? Or huh. I felt, When I was watching it, I felt like that's just the place she always goes. So it was out of habit that she said, hey, let's go across and get coffee or whatever. But I wasn't that's sure a little if it more was, interesting. I wasn't sure if it was a tactic either. There was definitely some wheels spinning in her scene with yeah. Gus uh, where he was explaining, you know, kind of poorly why he let uh, Leonard go. Uh-huh. Uh, where she was kind of, you could see his, her, she was kind of judging him. Mm-hmm. And then he, she finds out about his daughter and the fact that, you know, he's a single dad and has been alone for 10 years and you can kind of see yeah. her soften. So I, I don't know. And she doesn't seem like the type of girl that would be that calculating in a relationship, you know, like, yeah, oh, there's this guy, he's a single dad you. and he's maybe desperate and <laughs> I'm going to send him over so to dad, I'm gonna send him over to dad to soften him up. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, but on the other hand. Because uh, I know D uh, over on Facebook was kind of excited about them potentially getting together. Mm-hmm. I my first reaction is a little negative. Why? I feel like you don't want these people to be no, happy. Aaron, I, I feel like it's a it was a bit contrived. Huh. The fact that okay. it's like from the jump almost mm-hmm. the show is putting this as a potential couple to where now. 
it's uh, it's going to feel contrived to me if they go that way because that's what our expectation is now. Yeah, it's definitely our expectation. Um, I mean, do we want it to be a friends thing where they play it out for the entire season and then at the very very end they get together? Is that what you're talking about? I don't know. I mean, that's hackney too. It's like yeah. I just don't know what I'm saying here. I um. You just I want re- them to surprise you. Maybe. And so far you're not surprised? Maybe. I don't know. It's like, uh, of late, I've really liked the movies, and I've seen a lot of them, again, of late. Uh, I'm thinking Pacific Rim. I'm thinking uh, the newest Judge Dredd film, to <laughs> name two quality pieces of cinema mm-hmm. uh, history, <laughs> where the, the you have an attractive male lead, an attractive female lead in a professional situation and there's no sexual tension at all. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that is kind of refreshing uh, sure. in a way that, uh, you know, a female lead, male lead uh, meet and you know, sparks, will they, won't they? I mean, that that has been what we've seen for 30, 40, 50 plus years in television. I was kind of, I guess, hoping that there would be just a mutual, professional, respectful relationship. Although... I don't know. Maybe now that I'm saying that, it's like I don't uh, – could she respect Gus? <laughs> <laughs> After what he did? Who's a glorified dog catcher. Yeah. Um, you know, again, he had reasons, uh, mm-hmm. but she yeah. seems like a tougher individual. I, I'm i with you. Yeah, it doesn't – although, I mean, the stuff she's done with – the talking she did with her dad in the first couple of episodes, I mean, he very much wants her, you know, to find somebody or or at the very least to, you know – get out of the work that she's doing because it's very dangerous. He he cares for her very much, and he wants happiness for her. And I think a little bit of his conversation and his desires for her are creeping into what she's doing. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, the police work she's going to continue to do. She loves that. Right. But as far as finding a relationship, maybe she's starting to be more interested in it. At what point is Bill going to pull his head out of his ass and let her fully investigate this crime? I I don't know because she's, I, she's I, resorting to, to she's resorting to like Saturday Night Live skits mm-hmm. in in order to further this investigation. Um, I, which well, I think that's doing her work. harm. Uh, yeah. I think if she were to present a compelling case and not be pestering Lester the entire time, Bill would be far more likely to let her actually investigate it. I don't know, man, because she found that, that was really good police work that mm-hmm. led her to. Um, you know, finding the CCTV footage of Lorne. Yeah. And Bill seemed to be fairly impressed. And then she slipped in that, hey, I, by still respecting the letter of your law, I, you know, just did something completely innocuous. And Bill was like all super pissed and like then she cold shouldered her, which, you know, he seems kind of insecure in his position. But I, oh, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I just feel like that. That's going to get annoying pretty soon if he ignores the mounting evidence that this Lester character is innocent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. It has some guilt in this. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I, I just – I can't shake the feeling that she would she would do better not pestering Lester because that's really the only thing that's making him angry. Yeah, but – She keeps disobeying him. Yeah, I, I know, but that's what I'm saying. It's like <laughs> – uh, pestering Lester is following up on one of the few leads she has in the case. And also, s- probably saved his life. Or we don't exactly <laughs> yeah, know yeah. what the what Mr. Mechanic mm-hmm. and uh, Wrench. Mr. Wrench had in mind for Lester, but it probably wasn't good. No. No, it didn't look good. 
they weren't there to shop for insurance. No, <laughs> no. Uh, move it because we got a couple more. I got a couple more points to talk about Molly and and speaking about Gus, but I wanted to talk about Lorne. Okay. Uh, you know, we had a debate a week or two ago about how he avoids CCTV cameras and like you know how can he get away with some of this shit. Apparently, he just doesn't give a fuck. He will yeah. go into an office building during normal business hours mm-hmm. uh, and snatch a man by his neck and just drag him out in a methodical way, cut his clothes off in a garage and take off. It doesn't seem like a hitman or an enforcer that leaves this much physical evidence around would last long. You wouldn't think so, no. Is he on some kind of suicide mission? Is are we going to find out he's Walter Whiting here? He's got some kind of terminal <laughs> cancer and he just doesn't give a shit anymore. Hmm. I don't know. I, um, certainly no indication of that yet. There's not even a cough. <laughs> no, no coughing. Uh, I maybe, maybe. But you're. I. The only thing I know for sure is that it doesn't doesn't make sense for a hitman to do that. Uh, he continues to be the most entertaining character on the show. Oh, uh, easily. Yeah. The two questions, one comment with the, uh, <laughs> uh, personal trainer of the King's wife. Yep. My question, I have one question and I'd like you to comment. Uh, if I think his name is Don, the physical trainer, let's go with it. If Don answers those questions differently, does he still have the same comment? Hmm. Was was he queuing up the you're an idiot comment I or think, did he? I think the spray tanner on the back of the uh, <laughs> ransom note was going to lead all uh-huh. flo- all paths of the flowchart led to you're an idiot. Okay, the, <laughs> okay. Qu- the I second so. question might be different. No, I think the first two questions were going to be the same. So no, I, yeah. I think that okay. that comment was pretty much on rails. Um, <laughs> speaking of Don, yeah. I have a kind of a tinfoil theory. Uh, okay. That would also relate back to Molly's co- uh, high school friend. Mm-hmm. She mentioned that her boyfriend or husband, who I think his name is Stan, who quote unquote got the job, then they got divorced because he was having sex with his personal trainer. Yep. I. It's implied very lightly that Don is gay in this episode because he's wanting to build a Turkish bath. Uh-huh. And yeah. the bathhouse is a, is kind of like relatively notorious in in sure. a male homosexual community, especially like you'd think in <laughs> some of the the, the the Duluth Minnesotas of the world, maybe they don't have as many bathhouses. They probably and, don't, I'd imagine. And uh, you know, gay friendly places for for men to meet each other. Uh-huh. Uh no one uses Tinder up there, you know. You yeah, might have to sure. drive 100 miles to get to your your uh, green smiley face. Uh so is it possible that this is the same guy and that he's hmm. and and he's like running serial scam maybe he's uh asexual or pansexual but he's running serial scams on people that are well off or upper co- coming upper middle class I like the idea um that it would we, tie back there Yeah we we do know that her that Molly's friend lived in Sioux Falls um and that's like you said, a couple hours away from Duluth, which is a couple hours away from Bemidji. No, uh, no, no, St. Paul. Sioux Falls is another connection that's made. We'll, we'll talk oh, about yeah, that. Oh, yeah, sorry, St. Paul. Yeah, yeah we'll yeah. talk about the Sioux Falls thing later. Uh, St. Paul is a couple hours from Duluth, which is a couple hours from Bemidji. So this guy could, yeah, be a kind of a regional con artist going around, having sex with his 
students, I guess, uh, and conning them out of money. Yeah, or their significant significant others. Sure. Uh, I think that's a completely plausible theory, and it, you know, there's a lot of history and cross-ties here that I think this show is trying to put into place and and mine later on. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit more about that and about this character, because really, I mean, we need to know a little bit more about this character and the money and all sorts of stuff as it relates to the king and Lorne and, and Don. Um, the, the other thing, before we get too far from Lorne and Molly, uh, <laughs> when she drops that photo of him on the ground in front of Lester, mm-hmm. and then she somehow detects that this is not Lester's normal pitch, which, to me, it looked like That's, Lester's normal pitch. That <laughs> might be, she might be assuming that, but that actually was a lot smoother <laughs> than, than the than couple that done. came in last episode, yeah. So I, I found that pretty shocking. Um, anything else you want to talk about Molly or, or should we talk a little bit more about Lauren? Cause we have, uh, a very special guest this week giving us his opinion on Lauren and, uh, kind of the, the evil in this show Yeah, so and, and the Cohen brothers to, at to, large. To introduce this, Lauren says that he's taken over this operation. Next thing you know, he's meeting a drug dealer, um, uh, out in, uh, presumably downtown Duluth, who's got a very nice, well-equipped drug wagon yeah that has urine and adderall and zombie apocalypse kits mm-hmm. he buys a shitload of uh, adderall and then mentions that uh you know it's already a dog eat dog world kit kid zombies wouldn't do much to uh make it worse he should watch uh, amc's the walking dead yeah he could be wrong about that very wrong <laughs> it, it, at least It'd make people more annoying, the zombie apocalypse, apparently. Sure. Um, but let's go ahead and uh, bring our very special guest on at this point, I think. Hey, guys. Eric Walquist here, Personal Arrogance host and Bald Moves resident Coen Brothers movie geek. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about a classic Coen Brothers archetype, the unstoppable evil. Now, this is a character that was most recently embodied in the Coen Brothers movie No Country for Old Men in the character Anton Chigurh, but it goes you know, all the way back to everybody's favorite, Raising Arizona, uh, in the character of Ledrin Smalls. It's in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? in the character of Sheriff Cooley. It's also in uh, Barton Fink in the character of Charlie Meadows. This is an unstoppable force. It doesn't matter if it's being pulled over by a cop. It doesn't matter if it's going by on the skin of its teeth, replacing a man's acetaminophen with Adderall. This is a character that can never be caught, always has the upper hand, and represents one thing, death itself. Now, obviously, this character in Fargo, the television series, is played by Billy Bob Thornton and is named Lauren Malvo. Um, an interesting thing here, though, is that this character really wasn't represented in the movie Fargo, but is represented in the television series Fargo. Now, we can call Lauren Malvo the unstoppable force, but we can also call him by another name, the dog. This all goes back to episode two when we first see Lauren meeting Stavros in Stavros's office. We see Stavros sitting in front of a sign that says the king. So obviously his background uh, solidifies his position as the king. In this scene, we also see Lauren sitting in front of Stavros's dog. There's also a dog statue in the foreground. Stavros is the king. Lauren is the dog. 
This is further reinforced in this episode when when Lauren is buying the drugs from the zombie drug dealer uh, in the, in some back alley in Minnesota. Um, Lauren says to the drug dealer, "It's a do- it is a dog eat dog world." The next scene that we see Lauren in, he is literally killing Stavros's dog. He is the dog that eats the dog. He is the dog that kills the dog. Lauren Malvo is the dog. Now, Lauren is obviously, to me at least, the most interesting character on this show. We have little clues as to what he's actually getting at, but I think that the personal journey that he mentions in the first episode is not finished. He is on some kind of personal quest to me, and I'm really excited to see how it plays out. The other part of this is, you know, we don't we don't actually only have to call him the dog in this episode. We can also call him the spider. Uh, you know, we're told in this episode when Molly meets her friend in Duluth that uh, a spider bit her friend's uh, boyfriend's neck. And a few days later, a bunch of spiders poured out. In the first episode, Lauren metaphorically bites a man in the neck by stabbing him in the neck. And since that time, we've seen spiders come out of the woodwork, uh, particularly Mr. Wrench and Mr. Numbers uh, coming out from Fargo to see what's happening uh, in Bemidji. I'm really excited to see Lauren's journey, really excited to see what comes out of it. One more thing, when we go back to that office scene where Lauren first meets Stavros, um, we also see Stavros's right-hand man. Um, instead of standing in front of a background that says king or standing in, or sitting in front of a background that, that has a dog in it, His right-hand man is standing in front of a butcher chopping meat. So we have a king, we have a dog, and we have a butcher. Now, a quick Google search for king, dog, and butcher brings up a very interesting uh, result. Uh, It actually brings up Paul Revere's etching about the Boston Massacre uh, called um, A Bloody Massacre in King Street. King Street being the environment that they're in. The butcher, uh, which is which is shown as the butcher's hall in the background, sits in the background witnessing the massacre. And a dog sits in the foreground, indifferent to the violence and looking at the viewer. Now, this could all mean nothing, but I think it really kind of personifies what the king, the butcher, and the dog represent. The king is the environment that Lauren has decided to uh, play out his personal journey on. The butcher is standing in the background, seeing the violence and surveying it. And the dog, Lauren himself, is standing in front of the violence, indifferent to it, and bringing the viewer along enthralled. I'm very excited to see what happens next with Lauren Malvo, this unstoppable, evil Coen Brothers force in Fargo, the television series. And I'm also really excited to see what you guys think of my analysis. So, uh, Aaron and Jim back to you. All right. Thank you, Eric. That was uh, very informative. Um, yeah, he, I like the way he made the connection between the unstoppable evil force from some of the other Coen brothers movies and, and Lorne. Mm-hmm. Uh, another connection I noticed in this episode, uh, there was, uh, a box in the little closet that he took uh, Dawn into mm-hmm. labeled uh, Labouf Miscellaneous or Misk. Mm-hmm. Uh, Labouf is the name of the, I think it was a Texas Ranger 
played by Matt Damon in the latest uh, incarnation of True Grit. So a little wink towards the uh, Cohen catalog there. Uh, any other comments we'd like to make on uh, Eric's missive there? He agreed well, with you about the uh, the spider bites evil manifestation. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's what they're going for. Uh, the other thing he talks a lot about is the dog um, <clears throat> and Lauren being that dog. And there, there are a lot of other animal references in this show, um, specifically when uh, Lauren – or sorry, not Lauren um, – when Lester goes over to – the Hess house, I guess. She's talking about the kids. They're saying wolves. the kids are wolves. They're right. animals. They're they're farting on each other, farting on everything. Um, they're, they're also they're fighting each other in this episode, which is kind of what wolves do. Wolf cubs. And they've been doing they that fight every for dominance. episode. Yeah, yeah. So a lot a lot of um, animal references there. Uh, I've like I said before, <laughs> I've really enjoyed that that scene in particular. Um. So, Lauren gets a dog mm-hmm. and re- sneaks in at the same time, replaces the Supermarket King's Tylenol prescription, which I guess people get prescribed for Tylenol. <laughs> if you need a lot of it, yeah. With and, and I don't think it's that healthy to eat Tylenol that way either. Like, that's got to be some shit on your liver. Do you know anyone who chomps pills like that? Like, chewing acetaminophen is a, a terrible taste. Uh yeah, I've known a guy who did it for effect. <laughs> okay, but um, I—he's he's kind of a kind of a poser, hard ass. Um, but his—I mean, the guy's got a bad back, so maybe this was yeah. uh, this was uh, Tylenol. Maybe this Tylenol threes. It was uh, Tylenol codeine or something a little stronger. Uh, which meant, man, his back must be a real mess now because he's been chomping on the Adderall. <laughs> um, you can die from taking too much Adderall, right? Especially sure. at the doses that he's got this guy on. Mm-hmm. But as you pointed out when we were watching it, that's not probably Lauren's end game to kill the guy. Yeah, so the idea of of getting in on the blackmail scheme makes no sense if, you're, if your plan after that is to kill him, right? Like, then there's no one left to blackmail. But see, we don't... That's just what he's telling the idiot that yes. he's doing. Uh-huh. Uh... There could be something more sublime at work here. Are you saying I'm an idiot? Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying you're an <laughs> idiot. I wouldn't say you're an idiot. I'll save that comment for later. Okay. But uh, what did you make? Okay, because the king's being somewhat mysterious about how he got his seed money. Yep. What did you make of the red ice scraper framed above his mantelpiece? Frankly, when I watched the episode, I didn't make much of it. I thought it was funny. It was a funny thing for him to have. Up. And I was wondering if, okay, maybe he made his fortune starting off in the ice scraping business, ice removal. The lucrative ice scraping business. Well, in Minnesota, it probably is. Oh, I thought you mean like selling. He was selling ice scrapers out of the trunk of his car. No, 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 no. No, it was symbolic of him, his ice removal company. Okay. But you came up with a much better theory. No, when I first uh, saw that, it screams uh, a tie-in. To well, I mean, I first saw I just thought it was a is another throw a weird throwback to the movie Fargo, mm-hmm. but then uh, the fact that he's extorting a million dollars from him, and the fact that that was how much the original Fargo extortion was going was was for, yeah, and the fact that Steve Buscemi, um, and I can't remember exactly when Fargo takes place. I know it was sometime in the nineties, but let's say it was ten or fifteen years before, mm-hmm. buried. 
mil- roughly a million dollars in a snowbank by the side of a road and left a red ice scraper as a marker for him to come back later. Of course, he never did. No one did. Yeah. Um, is it possible that the supermarket king stumbled onto that, picked it up, and that's how he started his empire? I think it's very possible. I think that makes a lot of sense. Is it possible that um, – I can't remember the name of the guy. Uh, isn't it Pierre, the guy who plays him? The name of the guy that's kind of the didn't talk much, ends up killing Steve Buscemi. He went to oh, jail. Oh, oh, okay. But he doesn't know where the money – never mind. He doesn't know where the money's huh. at. No. Who would want this money back bad enough – like it's like it, I don't know, man. Like I'm trying, yeah, so I'm trying to figure out what the connection is between Billy Bob coming here and him getting the money from Fargo, if that is indeed a connection. Yeah, and um, plus all the all the the Jewish symbology that we're going to mm-hmm. get to at the end. Uh, buckle yourself up for that. <laughs> I'm just I'm trying I'm trying to piece together what all pattern this is making. There are dots, and I don't know that we have the lines to connect them yet. Um, I think that's probably the most likely theory. And and the guy says the king says in this episode it's impossible that anyone knows about this money. Yes. So if indeed he found it on the side of the road, that makes a lot of sense. Although you think if he found it at the side of the road, he would be. And that might be wishful thinking because if I found that much money for the side of the road, I'd be thinking someone knows about this money. Now, yeah. do they know about how would they know about me? Maybe. Yeah. Um, but he shifty guy because the whole time he is talking, it's like he couldn't finish a maybe a sentence. He talks about the saint <laughs> of the hard asses and he kind of trails off and he talks about me and my relationship with God and he trails mm-hmm. off. He's like, it's kind of like a new year's resolution. Yeah. Uh, where are they going with that? Is there some kind of like he's he made a a promise to God that if he got this money, he would do something with it. And instead he turned it into the Midwest supermarket king. <laughs> or I mean, I don't know. Yeah. No, that it seems a little hard too to say. metaphysical for the Cohen brothers when they're not doing, you know, a uh, take on the Iliad or the Odyssey set in in the south i i I don't know yeah i honestly can't piece it all together yet and i don't think we're supposed to um it is definitely interesting to think about though um especially with the the uh stained glass window he has above him it looks like he he or someone is roasting in this fire and is getting stabbed by somebody else um the romans the saint and the romans (laughs) so there's a lot of symbolism going on there and i just can't unravel it yet uh, so that's all I got for, I mean, so Lorne spins this off into, I guess he's going to stay on the man's property, mm-hmm. uh, so that ostensibly he can help protect him, mm-hmm. but seri- but it seems secretly that he is setting out to torment the man. Yep. Um, because at the end of the episode, uh, he sneaks in and replaces his plumbing with several gallons of some sort of animal blood. Mm-hmm. That's pretty di- fucking disgusting. Um, let's talk about Gus. Well, but before we, are we going to come back to Lauren at all? Because I have one more thing. Where do you want to Yeah, I don't, I don't know that we will. Okay. So in this episode, we've, we've, in previous episodes, we've kind of been questioning Lauren's motivations a lot. Um, is he just this kind of force of chaos or evil? Um, there's a line in here where, 
um, he's talking where the king is talking about someone killing his dog, and he says he calls him a sick bastard, gets off on hurting little things. Sure. Does that explain Lauren's actions? We obviously know that Lauren is the one who killed the dog, so if this applies to anyone, it would probably be, probably be Lauren. Uh, and that seems to coincide with what he does to the kid at the motel, um, and kind of maybe how he looks at Lester. Yeah, it just doesn't. It, the stuff just doesn't jive with Lester. How that all is connected and why he did what he did. Um, okay. But I mean, it's certainly he does get uh, get off on hurting small things because that's exactly describes the um, you know the poor maintenance dude at the hotel. Mm-hmm. And you know he kills an innocent dog, so sure I'll buy that. Okay. He actually, you know, uh, you could say the same about uh, his relationship with Gus there that he, you know, mind fucked this decent dude who's kind of a pushover into letting him go, yeah, which is going to cause him a lot of personal and professional problems. I'm certain. Okay, well let's talk about Gus then. Uh, he barges in on his lieutenant in the bathroom, uh, <laughs> confesses about his ineptitude. Uh, and the lieutenant comes out and rakes him over to Coles and says, it's, it's goddamn Sue falls all over again. Yeah. Here's another piece of the puzzle drops. We have no idea where it fits in it, but it's got to fit in somewhere. It will. It has to come back. I was racking my mind as like, is Sue falls where the initial events of the movie Fargo <laughs> actually happened? I don't think it, I don't think that's the case. Mm-mm. Um, he wants him to get a hold of the the Bemidji Police Department and yeah. absolve the department of any dipshittery, mm-hmm. which brings you know Gus on to visiting Molly, and they had the you know really awkward conversation about the dangerous and scary Lauren Malvo. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about you know on Molly's side of this uh, conversation how she kind of softened up when she saw Greta, uh, invite him over to the diner. Um, one thing I want to talk about is what do we make of Greta's shirt exactly matching the tablecloth? Huh. The See, I hadn't even noticed. At the diner. How did you not? I mean, until you brought it up the second time through. Yeah, I, I'm convinced they're made out of the same bolt of fabric. <laughs> they probably are. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I haven't had any time to think about it, so I'm not sure. Is it like that? She's bridging. Molly and Gus together, and there's the tables between on them, the and, and she, you know, Molly, Molly, I, I'm convinced was thinking uh, Gus was indeed all up into dipshittery until <laughs> Greta walked in, and that uh, completely changed the tone of it. Hmm. Um, is Could it be. symboling symbolizing the the moral shades of gray in the show? Well, I mean, I know Gus certainly has. Uh... Has had to make those decisions, right? He's come up against the gray. Do you think that this is going to have an arc where, uh, you know, the cowardly lion finds his heart? Or do you think Gus is going to kind of <laughs> – Gus is not going to fundamentally change as a person? Uh, That's interesting. I feel like Gus doesn't need to change much. He maybe just needs to get a little more conviction. Um, it seems like he's being pushed around by everyone. His boss doesn't listen to him. Uh, he gets, you know, mind fucked in the the car and uh, the pullover. But on I, the other hand, you can't really argue that if he played that he should have played Lauren differently. No, I think he made the right decision. Uh, it was certainly the cow- the more cowardly one, though. Certainly, but some you know sometimes uh, I don't know. Discretion is a better part of valor. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure, I'm not arguing that I would have done anything else or he should have done anything else, but at the same time, he did not fulfill his responsibilities. Certainly. Uh, so that leaves us with Lester. Uh, a lot of a, a lot more of the flashbacks, a lot more of yeah. the uh, voiceovers where he's reliving these events. And I think the the wound on his hand is a clear clear reflection of his mental state. I mean, the idea that this wound is festering and getting worse and worse, and now he's having flashbacks of the event, and he's haunted by them. I think they're one and the same. Okay. Um, put a pin in that because let's take a let's let's take a look over his arc here. Okay. Um, he's at home. He decides he doesn't want to stay there anymore, so he goes into work. Uh, they tell him to take some insurance forms over to the late or to, to the wife of the late Mr. Hess. Mm-hmm. Um, the Hess boys are dumb fucks. She instantly turns on for him, which is all about the money, right? Cause she's, yeah. she, that's the way, obviously, you know, she met the, uh, the, uh, Mr. Hess when she was a 19 year old stripper, mm-hmm. uh, probably didn't acquire many other skills since then. That's kind of how she relates to things. Like that's, that's her, you know, it's like the carpenter that all he has is a hammer. So the whole world looks like a nail. Mm-hmm. Fill in the blanks. <laughs> All she's got is X, and so the world looks like Y. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, do you, where? So, so there he goes into that arc, and he's got this, you know, fairly, I guess, attractive woman. She's kind of odious, but she's undeniably, you know, aging stripper hot. Uh, <laughs> uh, literally all over him. Yep. Uh, if who knows what would happen if her aforementioned dumb fuck kids didn't shoot each other in the ass with a crossbow, <laughs> uh, numbers and rent see him crash into his work. Uh, they get driven off by Molly. His hand is like you said, it's, it looks like it's on death's fucking door. Yeah. And the end of the episode, he goes over to his brother's house and ends up shooting his uh, machine gun. Yeah. So if his hand is a is an indication of his mental state, <laughs> what are we to make of the last scene? We need a rug to tie this room together. Uh, <laughs> shit, I don't know. I mean, that last scene <clears throat> is he going? He to likes like... the power of shooting it. It's very obvious that he he loves that power in his hands, and that that fits with his character—a character who's been pushed around and humiliated constantly now has this power in his hands, I think that's liberating and gratifying for him. Do you think he's going to, like, Heisenberg up? Like, obviously, he feels threatened by all this, you know, swirling violence and chaos that he's been uh, caught up in, and he's, you know, hasn't left his life with the departure of Lorne from town. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you think he's going to try to defend himself against Mr. Numbers and Mr. Wrench? Quite possibly, Yeah. I don't see why not. Hmm. Um, that can't go. I, well, I just though. know that that gun has got to be used to kill someone at some point. Are you employing and probably a lot? Are of you someone's. employing the infamous Chekhov's gun defense? I gun? am. I am. I mean, okay. a gun that big does not get shown and used in practice, and then not used uh, on people. Some people have said because we've wondered what is going on you know what was hess involved in what you know what is a trucking mafia in the midwest yeah. involved in some people suggested that the that he's actually involved in running guns okay and hmm. that potentially there's some connection with uh 
Lester's brother in that as well. Uh-huh. Getting his hands up. Because, because I, and I don't know how, because you never know, like with Hollywood writers, how much they really know about guns. Frequently, <laughs> the answer is not much. Uh-huh. Uh, but that particular gun uh, that he was showing off in the first episode Re, if you can get one, if you can fill out all the forms necessary that you need to buy one, they're like start at $75,000. Okay. I don't care how well Lester's brother is rolling. I don't know that you can make an impulse buy like that. Mm-hmm. So is it possible that he was involved in this, this Hess gun running and that that was like one of the perks? It's, I don't see why not. I mean, what is his job? Do we know his actual job? No, we do not. I thought he was like some kind of real estate agent or something. I Possibly. Okay. Um, it doesn't seem like there are a lot of jobs that could provide, like you said, enough salary to make an impulse purchase of 75000 It's so out of line with the rest of the way he's living. I mean, he's living yeah. a solid middle-class life in a nice house. Yep. But it'd be like if he had, I don't know, a million-dollar sports car in his garage. Yeah. It's like if you're balling that hard, you should like have some place in the Hollywood Hills or in the Florida Keys or some place besides, you know, sure. You, sh- you should have more than a quarter million dollar house in Fargo, North Dakota or whatever. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um it could definitely be that he got the gun or either the funds to buy the gun or something from a gun running, drug smuggling, anything. Hmm. Um, All right. He could be mixed up in whatever the business is. Okay. Um, what else do we have to talk about, man? Uh, that's probably about it. I think we've talked about everything I care to talk about. So let's talk about the inn because that's where kind of things start picking up for me. Uh, we see Wrench and Numbers are staying in some shack on the ice, mm-hmm. like an ice fishing shack. And during the whole – all of these scenes that we see, and we see Miss, the, the supermarket king in a shower, uh, you know, eventually gets covered in blood. And we cut to Lorne, you know, putting away the big vats of blood that he just put into guy's hot water tank apparently. Um, the whole time he's saying that, he's reading uh, – I believe it's from Exodus – no, it wasn't Exodus. It's from chapter 2 of Exodus where Moses is discovered by the Pharaoh's daughter – And he calls her Moses, and then he later on, as an adult, observes an Egyptian uh, beating one of the Hebrews, which was his one of his quote unquote brothers, and he kills the man. Mm -hmm. Last episode, we saw that there was a big, a a, a, uh, I think it's called a mitzvah tank. Uh, (laughs) Uh It's basically a mobile rabbi service parked outside of Gus's neighbor's house. His wife was Jewish. The family next door is Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, people on Reddit noticed that um, 613 is the name or is the number of Lester's uh, house, okay. street street number. It also is contained in the, the ransom note that they wanted $43,613. Um, 613 is the number of mitzvahs or commandments in the Torah. And Exodus 6.13 says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Last episode is titled The Rooster Prince, was an old Jewish parable about uh, a man losing his Jewish faith and a a man descending down 
and 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 bringing him out of that funk or you could also say a man went insane and another guy went insane and talked him out of his insanity from that basis mm-hmm. and now this uh lauren's quoting stuff from exodus what the hell does all this mean so i'm wondering i mean we know what it took to lead the egyptians uh or to, to lead them out of egypt right well, it, it, started, it, started, it started with uh, uh, turning the Nile into a river of blood. Which is something we see in this episode happening. There are, uh, I mean, some of these are dubious, but there are other kind of plagues that we've seen in throughout the show. Like, I mean, you could argue that um, Lester's hand is the boils. Ooh. I mean, he's squeezing some nasty pus out of that thing. Um, the dead livestock, I mean, there's a lot of animals being killed in this, uh, even in this episode, the dog is killed. Um, there's a butcher shop visible through, uh, Milos's office window at work. Like they're like when they're, when they're standing behind, uh, Milos's office, they're just chopping up animal parts. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, uh, dead livestock there. There, there are a lot of other things. I mean, you could consider, like, pestilence of the spiders. I mean, maybe that's part of it. Is Lorne the angel of death? <laughs> he could be. Why not? Yeah, I just... I It's it's a particular uh, vein to mine. You know, this just Judaic um, kind of mythology and tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you... Um, and I, I don't know, because when I start to see this, my guard goes up. Because for every show that has a strong internal mythology and all these clues kind of mean something, mm-hmm. you have mm, twice as many shows where this is just kind of tacked on for, uh, you know, cool tchotchke that yeah. it, it doesn't really mean anything. No more than the trombone hanging over your table at a TGIF means something. They sure. just fucking pull it out of someone's <laughs> attic and it's up there because it's cool. Yeah. I don't know which – I kind of want to say because of the heritage this show has that it's the former, but until I – you know, until we get a couple more episodes and we see how this is going, it seems like it could just as easily be the latter example. Yeah, I, we'll start seeing more pieces of the puzzle. Um, I, I want to give them credit and say it's the former. Uh Real quick, a uh, uh, piece of feedback. Graham H. says, I found an interesting theory on Reddit about some possible foreshadowing of the shower of blood at the end of the episode. Uh, and then he talks about all the other Jewish stuff we just talked about. He said, the first plague, of course, being the water turning to blood. Uh, the last plague is the death of every Egyptian's firstborn, including the pharaoh's son. Could this possibly <laughs> foreshadow the death of Dimitri, the supermarket king's son? Uh, sure. I wouldn't mind if he died. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, you guys, you got uh, fire from heaven, mm-hmm. uh, frogs. Yeah, locusts. I mean, the, the fire from heaven. He complains about being super hot, and then they show the the fire burning him up in the uh, yeah. the stained glass window stained behind glass him. Window, right. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of symbolism here. Um, I Pharaoh think is, toward the plagues. Sure, sure. Pharaoh is the king, so that it would it would track neatly there. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. We didn't. Uh, uh, I mentioned a couple other things like the one we got from Phil. We didn't have a lot of feedback on this week other than the show's good, stuff like that. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, anything you else want to say? Nope, I'm good. Okay, well, I'll do a little bit of pimping, and we'll let you find folks out of here. Uh, of course, we're on the Bald Move Network, and we cover a lot of awesome television. We have a couple affiliates that we're very proud of. Uh, one of those is The Because Show. They are three ladies broadcasting out of Los Angeles. They have a weekly podcast. And they talk about um, 
the current events. They talk about pop culture. They talk about what's going on sometimes with celebrities. They talk a lot about their own lives and relationships um, and talk about makeup and books. They're, it's really kind of fly-on-the-wall television because these people, they talk about the dates they've been on and the, how their relationships are changing and the experiences they've had. And they're all very funny uh, and very real. I think you'd enjoy them. Check it out, The Because Show. If you like what we do on Bald Move, there's a lot of different ways you can support us. Uh, if you go to baldmove.com, you can actually click on the support icon, and it will tell you about all of them. I want to highlight one way, which is using our Amazon uh, affiliate link. Go to amazon.baldmove.com, and we will get a tiny cut of whatever you order on that session. It doesn't cost you anything. There's no hidden surcharge. It's just money we vacuum out of Amazon's pockets, and it's one of the many ways you can help contribute uh, and help keep us uh, – turn out these podcasts. So thanks for all your support. You can send in feedback if you'd like to, to Fargo at baldmove.com. You can also follow uh, our threads on Fargo on facebook.com slash baldmove. And Jim, also, you can tweet at him on Twitter at baldmove. That's all I got. Uh, I'll see you on the live thread Tuesday night, and we'll hear, be here for the full podcast on Thursday. Absolutely. And until then, I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. See ya. See ya.